Well, praise the Lord. Amen. I could give you this sermon in a nutshell in about 30 seconds and we could go home. But the Bible says, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. (laughs) So hang on, brothers. Amen. (laughs) Turn, if you would, to the book of Colossians chapter 2. We began, we left off Wednesday night on verse 15. And uh, some of you say, well, you're doing that Wednesday night and I can't see that. If you go online on the app, you can do that. It's not that good of a sermon anyway, but uh, you might want to just keep up with the scriptures anyway. But we pick up in chapter 16 this morning. Before we do, I I was listening, uh, talking with some guys this week and was reminded uh, about uh, this little, it, it's called, anybody here ever heard of the Naked Communist? It was written in the 50s. Uh, and there were 45 things that the Communist Party wanted to do to take over America. And uh, you, can, you can just Google it, the Naked Communist, and it comes up. Almost every one of those 45 things are done. Almost every one of them. One of them they just started on again this morning. For those of you who think that we ought to just submit to the liberals and let them go ahead and kneel at the national anthem, now this morning the New York paper comes out and they're offended by the Pledge of Allegiance. No more Pledge of Allegiance. Folks, if you think these people are going to stop, you're wrong. They're doing the same thing to the country that they did to the churches in the 60s. That is, take God out, take the Bible out. They did that in the schools and all of that. And now they're taking all of the, the monuments out and all. You'll, you'll read every bit of it. It was written in the 50s of what they planned to do. And I just want you to know, I, I'm 64 years old. If somebody blows my brains out today, I'm in good shape. And I, I'm, I'm not going to sit by and let it happen. Not on my watch. I'm not going to do it. And I don't want it to happen in this church either. But I just just want to throw that out there. I won't charge you for that. That's not part of the nutshell. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. Would you stand, please, if you're physically able? If not, no problem. Honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. Let no man, therefore, judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Verse 20, wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Father, thank you this morning. Lord, we praise you that there's still something about that name, that precious name, Jesus. 
And Lord, I just pray this morning that you would continue to deal with our hearts as you've already started through this music ministry. God, may at the end of this service, during the invitation time, may we give up all of our worldly wisdom and come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul had never been to Colossae. The church there had been founded by mission work and uh, reaching out from Ephesus or some of Paul's friends, probably maybe his uh, converts. Uh, And two years after this letter was written, a great earthquake destroyed Colossae. And it's never been there since. So there were dangerous and subtle heresies that had suffered here. We've looked at some of those. Intellectualism was one of them. I love what uh, J.B. Phillips (laughs) paraphrased in his New Testament. He said this, the phrase philosophy or vain deceit is rendered intellectualism or high-sounding nonsense. Oh, bless God, you know, that's pretty good. High-sounding nonsense. Uh, you, You see, the best thing that man can do is come back and say, I think. This is what I think. But God and a Christian can come back and say, this is what I know. Man can say, I think this happened in creation. But a Christian can say, I know what happened in creation. I've got a written account of it. So you have to deal with intellectualism. And then ritualism had come in. And legalism had come in. And mysticism had come in. And asceticism had come in. All of these things... Are, are, are into this church at Colossae. And so Paul writes this letter to him, and he begins to, to denounce every one of these things. And you say, well, if it was an tor- uh, uh, earthquake at Colossae, then you know, what are we doing studying it? Well, Paul didn't just write it to Colossae. He wrote it to all the churches. So it's, it's good for every one of us. I was thinking this week about some of the the groups uh, that have shown up in mainstream religion. Uh, Facts are well known. There was a group lived together in a large, beautiful home in Rancho Santa Fe, uh, outside of San Diego there, March 26, 1997. The bodies of 21 women and 18 men, ranging from 26 to 72, were found at various stages of decomposed there in that house they all uh, had on the same kind of clothes they had, had had taken some applesauce or some pudding that was laced with barbiturates and had a shot of vodka and then they submitted to being suffocated by plastic bags all of them dressed in unisex black shirts pants nikes purple shrouds placed across their faces many of the men had been castrated but they still were frustrated with their bodies And they left a message saying that we're leaving our earthly bodies. We're going to die and be carried over into the extraterrestrial. That that was a mainstream church at one time. And then Vernon Wayne Howell, born in Houston, Texas in 1959 to a single 15-year-old mother. He never knew his father. He was raised by his grandparents. When he was 20, he turned to the church of Seventh-day Adventist. That was his mother's church. He was expelled from there for being a bad influence. Uh, And, uh, you know, immediately people will come back and say, see, that's what's wrong with the church. You threw him out. If you hadn't thrown him out, 
You know, he may not have turned out that way. No, if they hadn't have thrown him out, he may have had 15 others turn out the same way. Well, he got thrown out of that church and he went to Waco in 1981, changed his name to David Koresh. Became a leader of the Branch Davidians. Of course, you know what happened there. The, uh, we still have the nightmare of the ATF and the FBI. Uh, and many people killed during that same time. And, and then April 19, 1993, uh, that's when they launched the attack there. But back a, a little earlier, much earlier than many of you young people here can remember, but there was a mainline Christian church called the People's Temple. And they had a paranoid leader. His name was Jim Jones. And they went down south and they all followed him, 914 of them. Now, it was proven that every one of them didn't drink the Kool-Aid. Some of them said, whoa, we need to check this out. And bang, they were shot on the spot. 914 committed suicide or were shot. The Sacramento paper released a full documentary uh, on, and he said Jones became a cult leader and the people's temple became a cult literally overnight all of these are mainstream religion could I just tell you something this morning mainstream religion is useless you say well we're Baptist we're mainstream when we get to be mainstream religion we're in trouble I'm telling you it's not about the legalism of being a Baptist it's about the, the joy to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship. And when it ceases to be a relationship and becomes like a mainstream uh, business, then we've missed the whole boat. And Paul, as we close this chapter here, he's writing to a church that's faced these same issues. And he gives us three things that are just pow, right in our face that will help us if we'll follow them. Number one, he says, let nothing distract your faith. You see, in the Colossian church, Paul had, uh, Paul had saw that some matters were proving to distract the believers from Christ. It's called a smoke screen. When something bad's going on, you start a fight over here somewhere, and people put their attention over there, and they forget about what's going on here. And Paul saw that. He saw that in this church at, at Colossae. And he saw it in two ways. One was the religious observances of the day. He said in verse 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in the respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. The, these Colossian believers were getting a lot of advice about how to live the Christian life. The problem was most of it was wrong. Now let me just hasten to tell you, I don't care how good your friend is to you, if your friend is giving you advice and they're not based on the Word of God, you don't really need to listen to them. You really need to just love them and say, well, you know, I'll go get my input somewhere else. Because I want to tell you, there's a lot of people will tell you how to run your life. Our schools will be full uh, from January on, talking to our seniors all over America about how they should do this and how they should do that and what they should do here and how they handle this over here. I want to tell you guys, what you better do is you better stay on your face before God. These Colossian believers in the Jewish world, a lot of emphasis was placed on food and beverages. 
and uh, these particular foods and beverages were believed to be holier than others. I can tell you right now, Oreo cookies wasn't anywhere in the top ten. I'd have a problem right there. Have you seen this new kind with the who? Paul refutes all of this to these believers, and he said, listen, you're complete in Christ. Food's not going to help you with Jesus. Drink's not going to help you with Jesus. There's nothing you can add in your standing to Jesus Christ. Under the old covenant, these matters of food, drink, special days, all of them were, listen, we're in the Old Testament now, the old covenant. All of that was to gain acceptance to God. But after the cross and after Jesus, we don't have to fool with all of that. We've already been accepted by the unblemished Lamb of God. We have salvation through, through grace. I, I, I've kind of started using this term, grace and gravy. Bless God, that's two wonderful things right there. And we've got that in Jesus. You can still eat the food and you can have grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. All... Uh, uh, any system, Roy Lauren said this, professing to be Christian, which makes days and diets a condition of salvation, is doing so in the face of Scripture. It's nowhere in the Word of God. It's not there. The old order was, was taught by the Gnostics there, and they were moving to put the emphasis from a personal relationship to all the concerns of the rules and the rituals and the regulations and the routines. Now, he's talking to Jews here who were full of routines. They were full of rituals. They'd had all these things. They'd done all these things, drank these offerings, these meal offerings, and had certain days that they're kept. And these people said, now that you're saved, that's fine. But you still got to do all of these things to maintain your salvation. Now, that's false doctrine. He said, don't let anybody judge you of those things. For example, don't let anybody judge you concerning the Sabbath day. Now, I'm going to say something this morning that some of you are not going to agree with, but you can be wrong. <laughs> Sunday is not the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath. Sunday's not the Christian Sabbath. A lot of people say, oh, well, Sunday becomes a Christian Sabbath. No, no. We can't, we can't, we, we can't handle the rules of the Sabbath. For example, and I have people that say, oh, I, I'm going to observe the Sabbath. Oh, really? Well, then go ahead, big boy. You can't crank your car because you couldn't light a fire. When you crank your car, you light a fire in the engine, so you can't go nowhere. You can't turn on the heat or the thermostat. You can't cook. You, I mean, they had so many rules there. And, and, and he said, listen, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been preaching long enough to be amazed by two things. <laughs> One of them is that men and women will not believe the truth. And number two, I've been amazed at what men and women will believe. I mean, if it's some kind of wild mysticism thing, everybody's on board and ready to go with it. When we don't need any of that because we've got the completed Word of God. We've already, we don't have to wonder what Jesus would do. We can look and see what Jesus did do. He's our example. He's our fellowship. You can seek all the religions of this world and all the diets, but I'm telling you, it's not going to help you with Jesus. And then the second thing that was here was the religious order for this day. 
Paul explained the purpose of all of these religious observances. Here, they, here it is. It's, it's real simple. You know why they observed the Sabbath? You know why they did all the rituals? Why they did all the food offerings? Why they drank the certain things? They did it because it was a shadow of things to come. And the thing to come that was fulfilling the shadow was the Lord Jesus Christ. So after he's here and he's fulfilled that, we're not obligated under those things anymore. Now listen, I'm not saying don't, don't do right. You need to do right. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, for example, I had a preacher this week. We were in a discussion. There's about eight of us. And they were talking about how often do you do the Lord's Supper? And one of them said, well, I, we do it like the Baptists always have done it, once a quarter on the first Sunday. And somebody else said, well, we do it every Sunday. Or once a, well, the next one was once a month. Then the next one, once a Sunday, it came down to me. I said, we do it when we pray and feel like God says do it. And he said, well, that, uh, you know, that, you, you can't do that. I said, what do you mean you can't do that? I, when you pray and you feel like the Lord's Supper, and I want to tell you, a lot of people uh, tie the Lord's Supper just as a little tag on a service somewhere. You know we don't do that here. When we do the Lord's Supper, we center everything around the Lord's Supper. We, we want to preach about it. We want to sing about it. It's all for the Lord's Supper to praise the Lord. I said, you, you think you got to do it every Sunday? Yeah. I said, then why don't you do it every day? Why would you not do it every day if you got to do it every Sunday? Let me tell you something, guys. If you're not careful, all of this becomes ritualism and legalism to you. And I'm telling you, we need the power of God more than we need some more rituals and some more things to obey. Under the old order, a lot of emphasis was placed on all this. But under the... the uh, uh, under the old order, the emphasis was placed on a holy day, the Sabbath day. But under the new order, every day with Jesus is a holy day. Every day. Christ is our life. Let nothing distract your faith. There'll be a lot of people trying, but don't let it distract your faith. Second thing he says here is don't let anything disqualify your faith. Verse 18 begins with admonition, let no man beguile you. That word beguile is probably better rendered to rob, and some of your translations may say that, or disqualify you. It's an athletic word that was used to speak of a judgment against an athlete. Elliot was supposed to be beguiled. He's not. Then he was, and then he's not. He's going to play today. Hmm. That's what he's talking about here. It's a ruling that he could not compete or wasn't eligible to win the prize. So Paul is admonishing these believers here, don't let anything disqualify you. Paul says something in his word that is, has haunted me all of my ministry. He said, Lord, don't let me do anything that will cause, me, cause you to put me on the shelf where you'll never use me again. Wow. Can you imagine God saying, hey, I, I love you and you're saved, but I tell you, you've, you've, gone the, you've gone out of the box for the last time. You're going to sit on the shelf and I'm not going to use you anymore. 
What a terrible thought in life. Let nothing disqualify your faith. Now, he speaks of a couple of ways. One of them is the false experience. Verse 18 describes it as a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he had not seen, puffed up by the vain mind. An old wise farmer once said this, a man on his way somewhere doesn't have time to stop and throw rocks at every dog that barks. I mean, we, we just need to understand, we, God has given us a task. I wonder what would happen if we woke up tomorrow morning and we all as a church said, our task today is to tell one person about Jesus Christ and how to be saved. That's our task. You can't go home. You can't get in your easy chair. You can't, you, you can't shut down until you've done one thing. Tell somebody about Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. If we're not careful, we get distracted. And then these false experiences come in, and we want to chunk rocks at all of these things. People claim to have special revelations and visions of secret things, and they become more spiritual than other people. And all of these believers were in immediate danger here of being treated uh, uh, really taken away their good rights as Christians because they're going to follow a bunch of people that are fruitcakes. This danger is still prevalent today. We're surrounded by people who claim to receive special visions and revelations and monopoly on the unseen world. My goodness. I, I can't even keep up with what's in the book that I know, let alone all these other things. I mean, can you just imagine in the last few years, we've gone from, I mean, th th today, I shouldn't, I better not say that. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> no, I'm going to get in trouble. That was just a joke. Uh, but we, we've gone from barking like dogs because that makes us spiritual. Come on, folks. Get into the Word of God and understand that's not from God. Man, I have people all the time, well, the, the rock spoke to me. The tree spoke to me. Well, how about the Word of God speaking to you? I mean, it's right here in black and white. You, you, now, I'm not knocking your private things. What I'm saying is, when you come to the place where you're telling people, I'm more spiritual because I tell you, I've seen God face to face. Well, you're the only one in the world who has. Nobody else has. All these special revelations all lead to false experiences and they rob you of the great truth that Jesus is all you need. He's all you need. Mm. Then he speaks of foolish expectations. Uh, they were, they'd bought in. Verse 18, Paul says, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Uh, Paul adds in verse 19, not holding the head. See, the point here is reaffirmed that Jesus Christ is the head. If it, the head is what tells, you know it even tells your hand when to open and close. You're thinking your hand's doing that. Your hand's not doing that. Your mind's telling your hand to open and close. It's all in the head. And the head of the body of Christ is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so quit dealing with this junk that don't have anything to do with the head. If we just listen to what the head to what Jesus told us to be doing, we wouldn't have time to even go home at night ourselves. 
He's the head. He is to the believers what the head is to our body. I read about a dog the other day that walked across a bridge over a stream. And he had a nice-sized bone with him. He was tiptoeing across that bridge. And he looked down, and in that water was a bigger bone than the one he had in his mouth. Well, he dropped that bone, dove in the water for the other bone, only to realize there wasn't another bone, and lost both bones. All I'm trying to tell you is this. Quit running all over town and changing every station on the television you can to try to get a little bit more of the Holy Ghost. When you got saved, you got sealed to the day of redemption. No one can have more Holy Ghost than you got right now. The difference is you die to yourself and let the Holy Spirit fill you up. Now, if you only just throw out half of your stuff, that means the Holy Spirit's going to come in. When you mix half of pure water with dirty water, you still got a mess. But when you empty your whole life and the Holy Spirit comes into your life and into your heart, suddenly it's like streams of living water. Just keep going. Just keep going. Well, let nothing distract your faith. Let nothing disqualify your faith. Let me give you the last thing here. Let nothing discourage your faith. Well, we live in discouraging times. Verse 20 says, uh, If you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to its ordinances? Wow. You see, death, that's not a happy discussion for a lot of people. Uh, we're frightened of death. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm, not, I'm not scared of dying spiritually. I told the group out of Hawkins Creek, I'm not, uh, this week, I, I, I don't care if somebody comes in here and says, you denounce Christ, we're going to kill you. Go ahead and kill me. I mean, be absent here, be present with the Lord. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is how I'm going to die. I mean, I, I, I'll just be honest with you. It scares the living daylights out of me that I'm, I'm going to be laying up in a room somewhere with tubes and nobody can speak. I can't speak. I like to talk. <laughs> Somebody better get me a board so I can write on it or whatever, but my soul. I, I'm not worried about the spiritual part of death. I'm worried about the physical standpoint. And for, for those who are... De- who are already saved, we need to discover that we're already alive in Christ. We're already there. It means two things. Being dead with Christ means that we're free from the behavior of this world. We don't have to put up with it. We, we, the moment we were saved, we died with Jesus on that cross. Our past was canceled, our present was confirmed, and our future was completed. And as a child of God, that ought to set us on fire. It ought to excite us. Because his atoning work met every spiritual necessity that we would ever face in our entire life. Jesus is complete. He's all we need. He said, if you be dead with Christ, in verse 20, from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? And he lists them, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments of doctrines of men. See, the moment we died with Christ at salvation, we were freed from the behavior of this world. We're released from the bondage of the system of this world. Paul is saying here, why are you continuing to be governed by the world's standards when you've died with Christ? 
Because when you die with Christ, the world standards, you die to that system. Why would you continue to live in a system that is hostile and going to be literally like the bondage around you? Why would you want to live like that? When over here, Christ has given you a new covenant that you're free in Christ. And you can rejoice. The system of the world is a total contrast to God's systems. I, I don't, you know, the, the world says if you hit me, I'm going to hit you. The church says you can hit me twice, but I'm going to hit you after the third time. The Bible says turn your cheek 70 times. Mm. It's, it's a whole new system. Can you imagine a system like that? The world says love your friends and hate your enemies. <laughs> but God says love your enemies and be good to those who despitefully use you. Isn't that amazing? It don't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Just like death freed a slave from his obligation to the master, our death with Christ, we've been freed from the ideologies and the behavioral system of this world. We were held in bondage before we are saved. If you're not saved this morning, you're in bondage right now. You think you're free. You're not free. No, no, no. You're not free. There was a novel <clears throat> called Virginia. Ellen Glasgow uh, wrote it about an elderly blind lady. And she's presented as believing that life was going on. She just couldn't see it. But during her blindness, during the Civil War, it, it, it had been fought. All the slaves had been free. But she still believed she lived on a thriving plantation with 300 slaves. The situation of life had totally changed. But she did not live according. She refused to accept that change. I, I just wonder how many Christians are still living by the things of this world when Jesus has already come in and changed all of that. <laughs> we're not only free from the behavioral system of this world, we're, we're free from the burden of this world. When we say we're saved and we died with Christ, we were freed from our obligation to the system and his power became our strength, his righteousness became our salvation, and his grace became our sustenance. That's what he's given us. That's what he's given us. That's why we ought to be living. We ought to be exalting the Lord Jesus. We ought to be praising God. We ought to be so excited because we're children of God. The religious regulations of Paul's day look good because they incorporated a lot of ideals and attitudes that sophisticated people had that day. But as believers who are dead in Christ, we're dead and we're freed. And we have something better. That something better is Jesus Christ. I was reared in a camp as a young preacher that held to the assumption that righteousness and godliness and holiness, you had to wear certain clothes, Jesus saved and Jesus shaved. Some of y'all been there, and you know that. And oh, blessed day when the Holy Spirit of God released me from that. Oh, happy day when I could walk into a church and not worry about what anybody else was doing. 
I was just there to praise the name of Jesus. <laughs> I was freed from the behavior and the burden of the system. You, you know, the real truth this morning is really God is more interested in who you are than what you do. We want to do things. Sometimes we've got to be careful because sometimes we want to do things to stroke our own ego. God is much more interested with who you are because when he gets taken care of who you are, you'll do what you need to do because of who you are. You won't be doing what you're trying to do to make you come up to a place so you could be who you think you are. Don't ask me to say that again. I remember the story of the little boy got to the new school and was introduced to his teacher and the teacher asked him for a name and the young man replied, my name is Don't. He said, what, what, what do you mean Don't? You've got to have another name. He said, no, no, my name is Don't. I understood the question. Whatever I do, my parents are constantly saying Don't, 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 Don't. And that's the way a lot of Christians are living today. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. That's all in the negative. Let, let's change over that negative and go to the positive. Let's praise the Lord. Let's exalt the name of Jesus. Let's be a witness for Christ. Quit, quit doing all these don'ts. Salvation's not a list of do's and don'ts. During World War I, a Protestant chaplain with the American troops in Italy, became a great friend with the uh, Roman Catholic priest. And in time, the chaplain that moved on was killed in battle. And the priest heard of his death, and he asked military authorities if the chaplain could be brought back and buried in the church's cemetery. The military agreed to do it, but the priest ran into a problem because his own Catholic church, their authorities they were sympathetic, but they said, we can't approve the burial of a non-Catholic in a Catholic cemetery. So the priest buried his dear friend just outside the fence of the cemetery. After the war, years later, a veteran who knew what had happened returned to Italy, and he visited the old priest. And the first thing he did was ask to see the chaplain's grave. And to his surprise, the chaplain's grave was inside the fence. He said, ah, I see you finally got permission to move the body. The priest said, no, no. They told me where I couldn't bury the body, but nobody ever told me that I couldn't move the fence. <laughs> and here's the nutshell. I hope you're glad you stayed for this. Here it is in a nutshell. When you worship or you serve the Lord or you do anything, it'll be one of two ways. He calls it in Colossians 2, will worship. In other words, I'm, I'm really doing it to, for my own self. I want to feel good about myself. I want to give this special offering because it's going to make me feel good about myself. That's will worship. I'm going to be faithful to Sunday school because I know I need to. And our, our life groups, oh God forgive me, life groups. Because I know I need to and I'm going to be faithful. That's will worship. See, when all the smoke clears and everything's over, 
Who gets the glory for it? Because only in God worship does he get the glory. That's it. Anything else is will worship. And I pray today that we'll commit ourselves to the Lord to do God worship. Oh, worship the king. Man, there is a bomb in Gilead. That's always been one of my favorite songs. I bet when I was in the hospital in 99, I bet I sang that song. Me and an old nurse sang that song every night. Every night. I want to tell you, it's all found in Jesus. All in Jesus. You can seek it somewhere else. You can seek it in some experience. You can seek it in something else. But I'm telling you, you're going to come back and realize that it's all found in Jesus. He's complete. Are you complete? Maybe this morning you've never had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been a member of a Baptist church for years. All that's irrelevant. What's relevant is, do you know Jesus? I guess probably what's more relevant is, does Jesus know you? Can he call you by your name and say, welcome home? Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need a church home. I'll tell you, uh, we, we, we lose people here. We, we, here's a uh, couple right here, Richards. They're going to Waco. We're going to lose them. Somebody, God's going to send to take their place. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. Maybe you need a church home. This is a great church home. Maybe you need today to just come and kneel at this altar and say, God, I want to tell you the real truth of the thing. Nobody knows this but me and you. See, you thought you were the only one to know it, but God already knows it. No one knows this, God, but me and you. But I've really been singing in the choir, driving a bus, teaching Sunday school, life groups. I've really been doing all that because I, I enjoy that and it makes me feel good. That's wheel worship. And maybe you need to come and get on your face before God. Say, God, I'm tired of worshiping myself. I want to be free to worship you. He'll set you free. Lord, we're so thankful this morning. For the joy to be in your house. We're thankful for one more opportunity that you give those that need to be saved. One more opportunity today. Lord, we're thankful for just the Spirit, your Holy Spirit being in this place. We ask you, Lord, to have your way in every life that's in this place. God, don't let people leave here until they've done business with you. Whatever they need to do, Lord, I pray they do it in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me as Brother Aaron begins to lead us? God's speaking to your heart. Would you step out and come? Brother Case is here. Brother Jason is here. Come on, right now. These altars are open.